0: Welcome to Zimmerman Podcast, episode 95. If the past year has taught us anything, it's that health and wellness is much more than our physical output. Our bodies, minds, and spirits work together inside of us to build a whole, complete person. When one pillar of wellness suffers, everything suffers. So how do we take care of ourselves in a wholehearted way when we already have way too much on our to-do list? That's what I'm talking about today with Ashley Turner, a mind-body psychotherapist, power yoga expert, and marriage family therapist. Ashley is truly a fount of knowledge and wisdom, and if you found yourself seeking a way to dive into whole body wellness in a way that feels restful and attainable instead of just another thing you're too busy for, then this episode is for you. All right, you ready? Let's do it. I'm Jessica Zimmerman and this is Zimmerman Podcast. I'm a serial entrepreneur, mom to three, and professional oversharer who has spent a decade building my business and helping others do the same. From wedding floral design to business education, features in Martha Stewart Weddings and Forbes magazine, and even writing and publishing my best-selling memoir, Sleeping with a Stranger, my business has kept growing, evolving, and changing year after year, just like me. Because the best thing about building a strong business is the freedom it gives me to live a full life. And that's what Zimmerman Podcast is all about, sharing real, transparent, in the moment reflections about how to live a life, build a business, and lead a family through the good, the hard, and the messy. That's what we're doing each week right here on Zimmerman Podcast. Welcome to the show. Ashley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jessica. I'm so happy to be here. This is going to be fun. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Um in the past year, morning meditation and I like to also call it passive prayer, um it has totally changed my life. I think it can be really hard for, you know, an audience of driven, you know, entrepreneurial women to slow down and take care of our bodies, our minds, our spirits, and I just can't wait to dive into all of all of that with you today. For those listening who might not have heard of you before, tell tell them what you do, um, and how you got there, and what you're passionate about right now. Mm.
1: Well, what I'm most passionate about right now is cultivating resilience and helping people really drop into their own inner strength and self-reliance so that no matter what curveball life throws us, which obviously has been happening, um, we know that we have the tools or at least we will build the skills needed. And I think that gives so much relief from suffering, from anxiety, so that's what I'm really passionate about. I am a licensed psychotherapist. I am also a long-time yoga meditation teacher. I've been teaching yoga for over 20 years and I actually started in the yoga world and really saw how yoga had completely transformed my own life and began to heal me from the inside out, it's depression, so you know, low self-esteem. And then when I started teaching, I saw the same kind of emotional and mental breakthroughs happening for my students. And so I really wanted to understand what was actually happening. How is it that we're on the mat for 60 or 90 minutes? And this is totally changing our lives, not just our bodies. And So I went back to school and got my master's in psychology. I wrote my master's thesis on the integration of yoga and psychology, and I've been on that path ever since. I now have a training program, particularly for professionals, but it's also for personal development, Um, but training yoga professionals or holistic health professionals, coaches, therapists, psychology, functional medicine doctors, how to integrate either bring yoga, meditation, breath work into their clinical practice, or for yoga teachers, how to bring more psychological work and mental health skills into their teaching. So it's amazing. It's been an incredible journey. I'm so grateful. I feel like it's such a a burgeoning movement of holistic mental health. And there's so much science now that's beginning to come forward to really back it all up. There's been a lot of science in, in mindfulness and meditation, but now there's more and more science around the actual poses and the breathing. Um, so it's all just, it's a really exciting time to be a part
0: of this industry. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> I can't you. Okay. So I will be really honest with you. So a few years ago, so I have a six-year-old daughter. I have four-year-old twin boys. My husband was in and out of the hospital when my boys were born. So mm. I kind of was on this, like, let me go, go, go. Let me take care of everybody. And, yeah. uh, After that, I knew that I had to start taking care of myself again. I started really slowly with just working out and then I got to eating better. And then I, you know, um, started with the meditation and I have just seen such a change and such a sense of peace and how all, you know, mind, body and spirit are all connected. But I will tell you, I have started um, just within the past just since we've been home for um, you know, the quarantine, have I been kind of starting very slowly with yoga. Now I'm gonna be really honest. So meditation, I I think I took to it quickly because I was so desperate for it. You know what I mean? My bo- my mm-hmm. I just really needed it, even though I didn't and and I think when my my nutritionist actually when she was able to change the word from meditation to passive prayer, mm. and she just said listening. It's, it's, you're not actively praying. It's now it's your turn to listen. And no one wants to be in a relationship where you're doing all the talk, you know, where you're doing all the talking right. you need to learn to listen. And that really changed my mindset about it. And so I was able to take to it pretty quickly, but with yoga, I got to be honest. I, I, I'm a run five miles a day kind of girl, you know what I mean? And yeah. just these past couple of weeks, I, I have a Peloton and I've been doing just the five minute basics in yoga. And I got to say, number one, I think they're hard. <laughs> number two, yeah, they are I, hard. They can be hard. They can be, they, they can be hard when you have to hold that down dog. I just think my <laughs> arms are not, they just, I don't know. It's crazy, but I want, because I know I have heard so many people talk about the benefits of yoga and then people who have done yoga for 20 years are just, uh, they have, uh, they just speak about it so highly and I want to be that person. So is it, so two questions, number one. Is this something that if you just stick with it, like you're just committed, that eventually you're going to get it? Kind of like meditation for people. You just stick with it. Eventually you're going to get it. It's all going to make sense. And B, what is actually happening besides us getting stronger? Like what is actually happening mentally and spiritually through yoga? Mm-hmm. Such great questions.
1: Well, the first one is I definitely yoga. I had one teacher explain. She was actually talking about two different kinds of yoga, but it also relates to like yoga versus working out. And I've always been really into fitness too: spinning Pilates, running, run marathons, you know, all of that stuff. And yoga in many ways is working a different grid system in the body. That's what my teacher – how my teacher explained it and it really made sense.
0: Oh, that um, is – that's very useful.
1: Yeah. Typically fitness when we think of, again, you know, working out, weightless weight training – running, spinning Pilates, all of that kind of stuff is working the structural body and it's working the muscular skeletal body. And, uh, you know, obviously the respiratory system as well, but yoga is really working very specifically to a large degree also on the muscular skeletal system, of course, because I mean, it takes muscular strength and everything else just to create the poses, but it's also really working on the subtle body. Or in yoga, what's called the pranic body, the way that energy is distributed and moves in our body in a much more subtle way. And this is why we focus so much on the breath and breath work. And so it can be a very different orientation for people. And I think if it's like anything, like starting a totally new sport or learning a new instrument, it really takes time. You know, there's a learning curve for most people. And I know for myself, I mean, I always recommend to people, you know, go to at least 10 classes and, and go to a few different teachers and try a few different kinds of yoga, because just like anything, whether it's your spinning teacher or your favorite Pilates or your favorite, you know, anything, um, it's going to take time to find the person and the style that really resonates with you. And so give yourself that permission. And I do think that, as in any learning curve, it gets easier the, the more you do it and the more, you know, your body begins to orient to that kind of proprioception. I think, you know, there's several big factors you're working with a different kind of breathing. Hopefully your teacher is emphasizing the ujjayi breathing, which is closing the mouth, inhaling, exhaling through the nose. Um, again, it's placing your body in different kinds of shapes and different ways in space, proprioception. So, and, and for some people, I know that it's very difficult to slow down or stay in a pose for five breaths, which also is probably an indicator that it's a good thing for you to do. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's well, kind of – and I don't mean you. I just mean in general. Typically,
0: what oh, no, I need the, it is. actually. I need it. I desperately need it. I, I'm aware. I need it so bad. But what you said was so interesting because I've been looking at this so separately. Like running is is my t- attention that I give to my body. You know, uh, mm-hmm. meditation is the attention I give to mm-hmm. my mind. And, and, you know, when I sit down to do a devotional, that's the attention I give to my spirit. And what it sounds like almost yoga is, is it's, okay, now let's combine all three of those. Yes. I like to say like one of my favorite. For me, Like that's an ahama. I'm just like, oh, you're, are you kidding? That's crazy. Yeah. Now let's combine all three.
1: One of my favorite um, terms is, I like to say, because this is actually how someone had described my class many years ago, and I definitely felt this when I was going to some of my favorite classes even before as a student, um, yoga is like therapy, a kick-ass workout, and church all in one. If if you're that's in a class, class.
0: description. Oh, I now just want to, I now, that's all I want to do now. I, I just want to get so good at yoga. <laughs> Because that's what I want. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, because you're really, I mean, hopefully you have a teacher that, and and it's fine. Listen, everybody's called to different styles of yoga just like anything else. doesn't matter what it is. But hopefully you have a teacher who is teaching multidimensionally. Of course, the practice is so much bigger than just the physical poses. It's, it is a deeply philosophical practice, a deeply psychological practice. It can be spiritual. And it's not that it's a different spirituality or religion. It's really connecting to a concept of philosophy that we are all one. We're all part of God. We're all part of the universe. And how do I plug into that source within myself? And everything in the yoga practice is, I think of it like you're in your laptop, you're plugging it into, you know, the electrical cord in the wall or you're or you're getting onto the Wi-Fi and you're connecting to the internet and you're downloading this whole other level of consciousness, this whole other level of energy. And that's what we do in the practice. All the practices, whether it's physical practices, um, meditations, mantras, breath work, all of it is working to connect us back to our inner power and our inner strength. And Um, That's what, to me, creates the self-reliance and the confidence and really changes us psychologically. Oh, that's so good. Can you tell me what a chakra is? Yes. Chakras are one of my favorite topics. Um, The chakra system is, it's back to that energetic body. So you're working the grid system in the body. You can think of it much like meridians if for in acupuncture, the way that prana prana means life force or energy moves, and there's prana in everything there's of course there's prana in the trees in the grass and the food that we eat in fact, one way, a really helpful way of I think really neutralizing and creating a discerning palate in our lives is to ask is this giving me more energy or is this depleting my energy? And that could be the kind of food that you're eating, the kind of people you're hanging around, the stuff you're watching on TV, the stuff that you're ingesting and taking in. Is this cultivating more prana or is this depleting my prana? And you can look at different kinds of food and say, okay, is this white sugar, you know, have more prana than the kale? No, it doesn't. You know, so it's helpful because, it's a way of really neutralizing everything and it doesn't have to become such a big deal. And the same with relationships is this cultivating more energy. Do I feel better? Do I feel energized when I leave this conversation or do I feel drained? Do I feel resentful? So that's just prana. That's energy. The chakra system is a part of the energetic body or the pranic body. And there are seven primary energy centers in the body. And they start from the base of the spine and they go up the center channel of the spine and there's a primary core. You can think of it like the linchpin in the energetic body is this central channel called Sushumna and the chakras line up along Sushumna. So it essentially is about in general, the center of the spinal cord. You can kind of think of it like that. And the seven chakras, the seven primary chakras, there's other secondary chakras, the two soles of the feet, the two hands, those have um, secondary chakras, but we don't need to get into those today. So each energetic center, I like to look at the chakra system as related to developmental psychology. So it really is the, in, the intersection of our physiology. Our mind and body, essentially, where the mind and body meet, if you will, um, how they interact, how our consciousness comes into form. So, from developmental psychology, we know that a baby has these different phases of growth and development. You know, physically, the baby. Initially, all they're doing is, you know, eating, sleeping, and pooping, and then they start to crawl, and then they start to walk, and then they start to run, and then they start to talk, right? Um, Psychologically, we go through the same kind of developmental phases. Each phase of development has different psychological tasks associated with it, right? So you have children, and anyone that's watched children knows this, and we also forget, actually, that we kind of, I think, tend to think, oh, we're adults now, everything's cemented. (laughs) But we are always going through developmental phases, right? You go through a new phase in your relationship or career. And so we have to really give ourselves permission to be evolving beings. So the the chakra system mirrors that. The first chakra is at the base and it's almost um, correlating to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So root chakra at the base of the spine And these are energetic centers, so um, they're like vortices, and they happen to correlate directly with specific glands in the endocrine system. And so this is where we get into the deep science of how do the mind and body connect? How is it that I'm doing these physical poses and it has an effect on my psyche, on my mind? Well, part of it is that we begin to manipulate and hopefully optimize our the biochemistry in our body. And so when you're doing certain poses, you start to twist the adrenal glands and flush them out and reduce cortisol and stress hormones and activate the feel good hormones. And that affects neurotransmitters in the brain, which actually affects our mood. So the chakra system is very closely linked to this because the chakras are re- directly related to specific glands. So I can go really quickly through them. But first chakra is the base from zero to 12 months, from in utero to 12 months, sense of safety, security, stability, um, sense of our family system, our tribe, because we're totally reliant on other people on our tribe, essentially, when we're first born, we can't survive on our own. So the whole psychological, the whole function of the first chakra is survival and safety. Then we move up to the second chakra, which is the sexual organs. And now you're moving from, let's say, from, uh, I think it's like 18 months to 24 months. So now you have this baby that's starting to crawl around. They're starting to walk. There's movement. And all of a sudden they realize, okay, I'm safe. I'm going to live. I'm good. People are feeding me. People are taking care of me. And now we start to move into the pleasure of life and a sensual experience. And in a baby, you see it as, oh, they're putting everything in their mouth. Like, what is this? What is that? Oh, I have hands and feet. Oh, what's, I'm going to go out and explore the world, the sensual world. So that's the developmental phase from, uh, 18 to 24 months. Then we move up to the third chakra, the belly center. So it's just above the navel. Um, third chakra is all about individual sense of self. And this is where you have age two to three. So 24 months to 48 months to four, I guess. And that little child now is all of a sudden realizing, oh, there's a world out there for me to explore. I'm safe. I'm good. There's a world for me to explore. And, oh, by the way, I'm different from mom and dad. I have an individual self. And this is where you get into the terrible twos and threes where they're saying, hey, wait a minute. No, no. Their favorite word is no, because they're now drawing their own boundaries and saying, I don't necessarily want what mom and dad want. I may want something different. So this has everything to do with our sense of self, our individuated sense of self and power and confidence. And, um, again, it's our belly center. So it governs our digestive tract. Fourth chakra is a heart center four to seven years old when it's developed social identity. Now, all of a sudden we're connecting out in the world. We start to have friendships. We start to form other relationships outside the family. Um, And we realize, and and so the heart chakra is, of course, the psychological function of the heart chakra is love, and it's to give and receive love. And so you can see, again, similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you don't have those base needs met, it's very hard to start moving up into the more refined, subtle aspects of let me develop relationships and what's my capacity for love when I don't even have food, shelter, and safety, right? So that's how it starts to develop. Then fifth chakra throat is our sense of expression, our ability to speak our truth, our ability to hear the truth, but also creativity and self-expression. Sixth chakra is our intuition, third eye center is um, right in the middle of the brain. And now we start to get into much more higher functioning of intuition, imagination, archetypal psychology. Um, So again, a much more nuanced development. And then the seventh chakra is where we connect to spirit. And we really feel ourselves as a universal being, as a spiritual being, having a human experience, as we connect to unity consciousness. And so in general, in the chakras, the top Sorry, let me start at the bottom. The lower three chakras, the root, the belly, and the sexual organs are connected to our relationship to this physical world, the outer world. The top three chakras, the um the throat, the third eye, and the crown are connected to our inner world and govern our inner reality. And then the heart chakra sits right in the middle and it kind of straddles both. So it's both connected to the inner world and the outer world. So that's your chakra 101 for the day.
0: <laughs> okay, this is incredible. And honestly, this is all I needed to now become obsessed with yoga. Like I'm now (laughs) going to become a full-on yogi because I'm just such a believer in how the mind, the body, and the spirit works together. And Mm -hmm. everything you just said, I'm like, okay, we're going to take this seriously and we're going to do it. Yeah. Um,
1: It's really fascinating when you get into it. You can go down many different rabbit holes, but again, you know, if you just. But this is
0: so much more helpful than just having somebody say, do yoga. It's good for you. You know what I mean? And
1: like this yeah. so it's a vast. It's, it's such a vast science and art. And what I love so much about yoga is that any direction you want to go, there's a whole school of thought and practices associated with it. If you want to go into music, if you want to go down the rabbit hole of, you know, breath, or again, the endocrine system and neurotransmitters or, you know, archetypal psychology and art. And it's really, it's fascinating. And it all relates back to Again, this core equation of consciousness coming into form—how it we're really straddling both worlds of the human having a spiritual experience and the spirit, um, oh, sorry, the spirit having a human experience—and how can we be in this physical, tangible world with all the ups and downs and vicissitudes, and also deeply connected and primarily identified with ourselves? as spiritual beings. And so you can, you know, it's not saying anything else about any other religion, use whatever religion and spiritual practices are working for you. Yoga should help you to deepen those and cultivate those. So you're cultivating your own experience and relationship with spirit. There's no
0: one right way. Right. Oh, I love that you said that. I love that. I think there are some people who uh, can have a difficult time, you know, um, with, with, thinking, oh, well, I'm abandoning my religion. No, you're not. You're not. You're you're getting in tune with it more. Um, I know that's how it's been for me. And so I'm just so grateful for it. Okay, so summer 2019, imagine me waking up at 5 a.m., taking my kids to the gym while I work out with my trainer, going to the pool, playing blocks on the living room floor, and then wham, totally out of energy by 4 p.m. Crawling into bed in my Christmas pajamas, I was already doing all the energy-boosting things I could think of. Then my nutritionist told me about Bee Powered from Beekeeper's Naturals. I just take a spoonful of the Bee Powered Superfood Honey every morning, and I'm not kidding. I see a huge difference. I know not everyone can have a nutritionist, but anyone can get this superfood, honey, and I'm making it even more accessible for you. If you use the link in my show notes or simply go to ZimmermanPodcast.com b you'll get 15% off your order from Beekeepers Naturals. So if you're a tired entrepreneur or foggy-brained parent, you need this stuff. Again, go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash bee. So, you were saying just a second ago about the endocrine system. And over the past couple of years, I really had to rebuild mine because Mm -hmm. I had completely depleted all of my adrenals. And I think that that's honestly really common for people who are, you know, entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. women entrepreneurs, solo entrepreneurs. I mean, they are just burning the candle at both ends. So, I had to really take the time to, you know, Put these three things into practice, the mind, the body, and the spirit, so that I could start to you know rebuild but it sounds like yoga would just be so helpful for so many entrepreneurs so I work you know with a lot of creatives. how can yoga and mindfulness and attention to chakras like how can that help us access that creativity?
1: Mm, such a great question. well, I think first of all, you're absolutely right and it's Really, a pandemic. And I actually think that one of the blessings of going through, you know, quarantine or self, you know, isolating at home is really that on a global scale, we've been called to slow down and we've been, we've stripped away so much of our unnecessary um, movement and, and commitments. And it's been such an empowering teaching for many, many people to do less. And to get comfortable doing less and to reprioritize what is most important. And I think that's so, so important, especially, I mean, for many, many people. But let's be honest, working moms are probably taking the brunt of it, like really burning the candle at both ends. And it's been well proven that working mothers, any mother, is doing so much more work than is ever acknowledged or paid for etc so i just want to name that because i think that's really important but and and so it because of that it's extremely important and also just the modern world that we live in with technology with 5g networks with this real drive you know anyone in the west and certainly in the united states is being conditioned in a culture that is a striving culture. It's an addiction to striving. And so it takes a lot of self-discipline, incredible amount. I'm just speaking for myself. It takes an incredible amount of self-discipline to really commit to our priorities and limit everything else and not get caught up into the momentum of should, and I need productivity and I need to do more and more. So it's very important that we tend to our nervous systems, and I've heard some people call it, you know, m- emotional hygiene. I think, you know, nervous system health. I think that's something that people are becoming much, much more aware of how powerful and how important it is to do practices to slow down and restore the nervous system. And I think this is really; these are practices that I think are really being propagated in a wider. Way only in the last few years because you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s and even 90s, and it was this sort of uh, someone actually said recently the term productivity porn, which I love because it's like this obsession with productivity instead of really honoring the feminine aspect, the yin qualities of life, of being still, of slowing down, of tuning in, of quote unquote doing nothing and being. And so it's really important that we do different practices so of course, restorative yoga is incredibly powerful um, breath work practices to to de to downshift the nervous system from that sympathetic fight or flight or freeze response into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest response, or it's also called tend and befriend. And so I love that term tend and befriend because it really emphasizes this tending to ourselves, tending to our inner life, and also befriending, you know, the quality of our relationships, connecting with other people and how nourishing that is and how restorative that can be. So, finding ways to weave into your everyday, at least every week, but I would really recommend every day to whatever degree it can be five minutes, ten minutes. It doesn't have to be a big hour and a half practice. But ways that you know what nourishes you. I know for me, getting out in nature is extremely important. Um, tuning out, like if I find, I started going for walks without my phone because I I would be like, I gotta listen to a podcast on my walk and be productive, <laughs> you know. Well, I'm trying to slow down.
0: Yep, exactly. You're not you're not alone. I'm sure you're I'm sure we all suffer with that. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, I think I I can't even remember your exact original question, but I just think that it's extremely important that we take responsibility to find the ways that we need. And it's going to be different. I think this is a very important thing too is that it's different for everyone. You know, your ways of optimally slowing down are going to be different from mine. And everyone else, it's going to depend on your constitution, your personal preferences, your personality. That's part of the genius of the practice, is that every single person is unique. And so it really is liberating and empowering to attune to what works for you and then give yourself permission. That's where the discipline and uh, maturity comes in to give yourself the discipline or the commitment to actually do those things and find ways to incorporate them.
0: You know, for me, and I'm I'm not talking from a yoga perspective, but um, but I'm going to be soon because I'm going to become obsessed with it. But I just speaking from focusing over the past couple of years on you know mind, body, and spirit. I I have found that for me, the question was how can we tap into our creativity, and I think for me, it's been the things that I used to worry about. They're just it's not that they've necessarily been solved. It's that. It's not like I meditate and I get this answer that's like, here's the answer for mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. problem you have. I I just kind of no longer worry about it. I don't yeah. know. It's like it just kind of fades away. It's It's a way more peaceful life. And I also really am in tune with my body, with what my body needs. Like today, mm-hmm. I got on that treadmill and my mind was like, I'm going to run five miles. And then I started running and my I, I was like, my body does not want this today. It doesn't mm-hmm. want it. Mm-hmm. And that is so much growth, honestly, from even yeah. six months ago, it, mm-hmm. it, 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 probably even three months ago. Three months ago, I would have been like, no, you got on here to run five miles. You're going to run five miles. Yeah, Do yeah. it. And do that's, it. How we're, and and that's we'll really do.
1: how we're conditioned, you know?
0: Yes. Yes. And I'm a pu- I'll push myself. I'm very driven. And so <laughs> I have to kind of stop to go, no, this isn't failing. You didn't fail. You're actually succeeding by listening to what your body wants. And so I did like a walk instead. And then I got off and I stretched for like 10 minutes and took a bath. That's what my body needed. And so I find that it's almost also you start to get in tune with what your body needs and is asking for. And once you do that, it's like, you're way more efficient. I mean, I work sometimes, to be honest, two hours a day. Like that's crazy. Mm. You know what I mean? Now Mm -hmm. I have a great team, but I mean, I will work two hours a day. Sometimes I work six hours a day, but I'm able to get so much done. And I think that that's because I'm not crazy multitasking. I'm not, I don't know. I'm just more present. And I think that that has a lot to do with, tapping into those three things. And I I believe from talking to you that all three of those things live within yoga. So I can't imagine just how much better it's going to be with yoga. It's funny, my my kids have been doing about 15 minutes of yoga every morning during the quarantine. I love um, that. I know. Well, and I kind of did it, honestly. It's just <laughs> something to do while I was, you know, cleaning up breakfast. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, oh, yoga. Yoga's good for people. Let's do that. And they, they've they got this great kids yoga channel, and they've really enjoyed it. But now, even just hearing everything you've said, I'm like, we are going to keep this going. Even yeah. after we're, you know, out of lockdown, We're going to mm-hmm. we're going to keep it going. So why is yoga so important from a neuroscientific perspective? Mm, wow. What a great question.
1: Well, again, as I mentioned, the one of the primary tools is that the practice is helping to create, hopefully, a, um, a healthier set point in our nervous system. So we tend to live in a world that is filled with stress. And as we've been talking about a lot of conditioning around productivity, type A, doing, you know, goal-oriented and achievement-based culture. And there's a whole other aspect, which is the yin quality um, or those feminine aspects. And what you were just saying, I loved a little while ago when you were talking about you know doing less and there's a great quote called, um, called the disciplined pursuit of less and really aligning with our priorities so when we slow things down we do less we start to we start to condition the nervous system from that hypervigilant aroused state it's called hyperarousal in the nervous system which is the sympathetic nervous system of fight or flight when we're in fight or flight our body automatically, you can think of it very basically like an animal out on the desert or out in the, you know, um, on the plains of Africa. When they're being chased and any animal is threatened immediately, the energy moves away from the digestive tract. It moves away from the center of the body and the blood and the energy flushes out to the periphery so that it can um, so that it can power that animal to run or to fight. So energy goes into the hands and feet, the arms and legs. Our eyes start to dilate. Um, uh, there is, le- you know, there's no activity in the digestive tract, which is why over time, if you have, if you're in a hyper aroused state of stress. People often begin to develop digestive issues because their digestive cent- center is not working, their organs aren't working properly because that energy is not allowed to really cultivate peristalsis, digestion, assimilation, elimination um, because of this hyperarousal state. That's one of the big factors, key factors in the nervous system. But along with that, there's a whole host of a neurococktail that's created, which is the stress hormones of cortisol, of adrenaline. Norepinephrine, um, noradrenaline. And so that has a direct effect on the brain. And it starts, again, it starts to, you know, we get hyper focused. We have sort of that um, tunnel vision because if you're an animal and if you're running or fighting, you have to be on, on target, you know, you have to really activate. So what yoga does and the deep breathing does is it starts to slow us down. It starts to kick us over into this parasympathetic. The way I remember it is sympathetic nervous system is the part of the nervous system that's reacting, that's responding to the outer stimuli. So, again, if you you feel a threat, your sympathetic nervous system, it's sympathizing with the outer world and it's going to react. Parasympathetic, calm, calm. Rest and digest. So what happens is deep breathing is one of the best ways. An immediate way to shift into this parasympathetic nervous system is to take some slow, deep breaths. Maybe we can just take three deep breaths together here. Let's take a big inhale through the nose. Fill the belly all the way down. Fill the bottom of the lungs. You can open the mouth and exhale completely. And again, inhaling and exhaling. And this time, take an inhale and keep the mouth closed as you exhale through the nose only. Beautiful. So that alone, as much as you can during the day, is to remember slow, deep breathing. And I like the three words, follow your breath. So just tune in when you're picking your kids up from school, Get there a minute early, take three deep breaths. Have your kids get in the car, take three deep breaths together, and then proceed. Before you pick up a phone call, take three deep breaths. So you start to condition yourself into this rebuilding phase, parasympathetic. Um, Also, in a a huge piece of the science around it, so of course, when you start to breathe deeply and you're in that tend to befriend or rest and digest response, then your body can start to generate the feel-good hormones, the oxytocin, the serotonin, um, oxytocin, that bonding hormone. So that's one of the reasons it's called tend and befriend. When we're in that parasympathetic state, it's also a state of playing, of procreation, of um, rebuilding, of resting. Um, but a very key aspect is the vagus nerve. And you may have heard of what's called polyvagal nerve theory. There's a nerve that runs, it's called the wandering nerve, and it runs down through the center of the body. And it really connects like from up under the base of the neck, all the way down connecting and touching many of the different primary organs in the body. And this is considered to be the mediator of that parasympathetic response or that rest and digest response. What's interesting is that the more that we can increase what's called vagal nerve tone, the more we increase the strength in the fibers of that nerve, the the vagus nerve, um, the more we have access to that parasympathetic response, that slowed down response. Interestingly, 80% of the fibers from the vagus nerve are moving from the body to the brain, and that's called afferent. And the other 20% from the brain to the body, that's called efferent. But what that is telling us is that there's all this information coming in through the body. 80% of the communication is moving from the body up to the brain. And so if we can affect the sensations in the body, the information coming in, if we can actually, you know, when you think about Tony Robbins, he talks a lot about putting yourself in state or moving essentially working from the outside in. In other words, we can put ourselves into a more relaxed, calm state. We can cultivate that throughout our practices and that will then have an, a direct effect up into the brain. Psychologically, people also call it working from the bottom up, working from the body up into the brain. You can also flip it and work from the mind down into the body, if you will, or from the inside out, I like to say. So you can you know, adjust your consciousness or your negative biases, or, you know, that's where meditation and psychotherapy comes in to really look at what's happening in your thought loops. And then correcting those, healing those, bringing those into balance will have an effect on the body. But also we can work from the outside in to create shifts in the physiology that then affects the type of thoughts that we're thinking. So one of the things that happens in that parasympathetic response slowing down the heart rate, releasing, again, the anti-inflammatory chemicals. So the vagus nerve actually releases a hormone called acetylcholine. And it's like a break on the heart. So it gives it a little rest. There's tons of anti-inflammatory effects. So these are some, this is some of the basic science of what is happening in the body that's actually affecting the neurococktail and the neurotransmitters and the
0: state of our minds and our mood. That's so good. That's also interesting and fascinating. So i I try to box breathe every day. Oh, I and love sometimes that. And well, it's it's great. I love it. It's it's really good about just kind of resetting. I don't know, but sometimes breathing all the way down to my belly comes easily, mm-hmm. and sometimes I find it really challenging. And sure. it sometimes it just like stays up there in my chest. What is that? What does that mean? <sighs>
1: Um, you know, I think first of all, I wouldn't necessarily, I would, I would suggest not thinking about it too much and just allowing it to be what it is. That's a big part of the practice is really observing and cultivating that neutral witness. So there's always going to be times where I, I think of the practice, all the practices, whether it's meditation, you know, physical yoga to be like a blank canvas. Every day we show up, and we just observe, oh, this is what's happening today. Isn't that interesting? One of the mindful attitudes, the eight attitudes of mindfulness, one of the first ones is curiosity. And so just becoming curious. Like, I wonder why I'm feeling short of breath, or I wonder why it's harder for me to get that breath into the bottom of my lungs. And maybe, the, maybe you can get clear on a reason and you're stressed about something and maybe not, and that's fine too. So I think that's really important to just, allow things to be what it is. And then the second piece is we definitely cultivate like anything, you know, we build stronger muscles. And so we cultivate our respiratory capacity. We cultivate our psychological capacity. One of the aims I think of all practices is to increase our capacity for life. And one of my teachers in my graduate program, In psychology, he also, he used to say, and I love this term so much, how much life can you handle? And so in our conditioning, much like physical fitness, similarly in the yoga practice or meditation practice, it's really stretching ourselves to increase what's called in psychology, the window of tolerance. And so when we stretch that window of tolerance over time, we have a greater capacity, whether it's to stay more patient with our kids or whether it's to take a deeper breath or run a little further over time. That's why we train. That's what our conditioning is for, whether it's physical, mental or spiritual. So um, in any case, to answer your question why that might be difficult, I would say, Be curious about that. Is there something that happened? Is there something emotionally? Is there anything physically? Is there anything that you ate the day before that may have affected it? You know, so there's all these different levels and it's really key to look holistically.
0: Sleeping with a Stranger is officially available everywhere books are sold in hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Since the book's launch, I've been amazed by how it's been received, from being named a bestseller by USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble, to incredibly personal and touching reviews from my amazing readers. It's been such a wild journey. Here's one of my favorite reviews. If you're even remotely on the fence about getting this book, just go ahead and purchase it. I promise you won't regret it. I normally don't write a lot of reviews, but in this case, it was a must. Jessica gives you a total glimpse into her and her family's life. She not only tells the story, but she tells it with a sense of humor while also being completely open and honest. I truly believe everyone can get something out of or relate to her story in some way. I honestly cannot emphasize just how much I loved this book. I will definitely be purchasing more to give to friends and family. I can't wait to share this story with you. To get your copy, go to jessicazimmerman.com today or wherever books are sold. And to make sure you get all my upcoming book tour updates, join the newsletter list now. So there seems to be a million different kinds of yoga. There's restorative yoga, which I really like because you... uh, it's kind of like you just sit there and breathe. I mean, I know yeah. you're doing more than that, but still, it's really lovely. Um, and then there's hot yoga where everyone seems to be really sweaty and you get some kind of insane workout. I've never done it, but I just, it just looks that way. And then there's yoga that seems like really purposeful, meditation and stretching. Why are there so many different kinds and what are the different benefits? Mm.
1: Great question. And first of all, I love that you love restorative yoga because as a type A personality of which I am as well, um, it's an incredibly powerful practice for us to do. So I love that you're doing some restorative yoga and it is so nourishing and healing. Um, I think it's very similar. It's, it's, again, it's like anything. There are so many different schools of yoga, types of yoga, even different teachers teaching the same kind of yoga that are very different, just as in anything else. And again, so the first thing that I would suggest is for everyone to really explore and experiment and see what's really going to work for you. And keep in mind that, as I mentioned in the beginning, often what is the most therapeutic and what is the most helpful is what we may tend to avoid the most. So I use the example of Um, My brother-in-law, who is amazing and total type A, like even constitutionally has a lot of fire, sort of a reddish kind of color hair and fiery temperament and works on Wall Street, lives in New York City, works at, you know, Goldman Sachs, like extremely high pressure job. Of course he does because he can handle it. He's got, my sister calls it like he's got the stomach of steel, like he can eat anything and just burns right through And so one time she was asking me many years ago, they had just moved into a new apartment and he was, you know, short tempered. And she said, what can I do? How can I help him? And meanwhile, he was training, of course, for a marathon. (laughs) So this is like the extreme type A, which I'm sure we can all relate to or know someone that is that archetype. Or maybe it's ourselves because I have a lot of that and i said you know what he what would be so great for him is to slow down is to go for walks in nature walks not runs and do some restorative yoga and meditate so if i was doing a yoga therapy protocol for him that's a that's what i would prescribe and of course there's no way in hell he wants to do any of that he's training for a marathon he needs to make the most of his time he needs to burn some calories so that's what i mean when i say often what is the most therapeutic is maybe what we tend to avoid the most. So just be curious about that in yourself. And if you're saying, no way in hell do I want to try hot yoga, you are the restorative yoga type, maybe try a hot yoga class. See what it does for you. Just become curious and vice versa.
0: I love that. Just be curious. Just be curious. Try it. You live
1: once. Yeah, exactly. And I think that you know the proof is always in the pudding. And that's what's so great about yoga is that Just observe. Observe how you feel walking into the class, and then take another snapshot and observe how you feel after the class, after the practice, and notice the difference. Because, again, the foundation of yoga is that it's liberating and empowering for the individual. So, it's not about what I'm saying or what anyone else is saying. All you need to do is be your own scientific experiment and notice. Do you feel better back to the very beginning of this interview? Is this giving you more prana or is this depleting you and start to live your life through that filter? And it's really powerful. And then you're the one that's making decisions. You don't have to go on to the hottest blog post or the, your favorite person on Instagram and do what they're saying to do, do what is aligned with what you need at this moment, because it's always going to change at different phases of
0: our life too. Right? Right. Oh, amen to that. I love, yeah. oh, yes. yes. Take your okay, power so, back, people. Take your, take power, your back. power back. You don't need to ask <laughs> everyone else's opinion. You have <laughs> to your to What's own best reason. for you? Body you your own life. Mind. I love it. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So as I mentioned earlier, meditation has really changed my life, but I'm not really the best at explaining exactly what to do practically. So can you kind of talk us through kind of like a beginner's guide to meditation? Well,
1: the first thing, I think there's a couple of big myths about meditation. The first one is that meditating is supposed to make you calm or you're going to get more calm and peaceful with meditation. (laughs) And, you know, hopefully maybe at some point that byproduct may happen. But the reason it happens is not because everything in your life becomes more peaceful. It's because you change your relationship to your mind. And you change your relationship to what's happening outside of you. So the truth is that meditation gets helps us to become more awake and more aware to what is actually happening and let go and, and start to identify what our, how our mind is working. It's just like in the yoga practice, and it's a little easier – Typically, it's a little easier to see in the yoga practice. In fact, in yoga, in the, I think it's in the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, one of the texts, it actually says, because meditation is one of the limbs of yoga, um, one of the eight limbs of yoga, and the physical practice is another one of the eight limbs of yoga. But it says, and if you go in order, it says start with the physical practice. And why is that? Because it's easier to see. We can tangibly see, oh, my hamst- or feel, you know, my hamstrings are getting longer or they're getting looser. You know, I can stretch a little further this way, or it's easier for me to sit Indian style um, after a few months of doing some yoga asana. And it's a little trickier when we start to work with the mental body and the emotional body, because we can't see them we can't tangibly touch them or feel them like we can our quadriceps or our hamstrings etc and so what we can apply the same exact analogy from our physical body to our mental and emotional body and so with your mental and emotional body in meditation what one of the first orders of business is to cultivate what's called the witness mind and you just start to observe what is coming up in your mind as you would a movie. So for example, you watch some, a TV show on Netflix or you watch a movie and you and someone says, oh, what was the movie about? And you just recite, oh, it was this and this and this character and they did that. You're not attached to it. No big deal. You're just restating the facts, the content. So, we want to have that same kind of relationship neutrality in our own lives, but it becomes much trickier because, of course, we're very attached to how we feel and, and what we're thinking. But the truth and the liberation comes from beginning to create a little separation. So, that's number one. When we sit down, can you cultivate what's called the witness mind of just observing? Oh, I'm sitting today, it's extremely difficult for me to sit still. I really want to get up. I'm noticing that I'm agitated. So one of the tools is called for witness mind is called noting. And, and you're just simply, it's a practice where you can just simply sit for three minutes or five minutes. I love using the insight timer. It's um, an app on your phone. I love it so much. It's just super simple There's tons of guided meditations on there, but you can also just set it for however long you want, three minutes, five minutes, do these little chimes. And it's a really beautiful way to personalize your practice. So if you sit for, let's say three minutes, can you simply observe and just note like you're observing the weather and you're saying, oh, it's drizzling out. It's a little chilly today. Same thing with your mind. Oh, I'm, I'm really irritable today. I'm noticing I'm extremely impatient. Um, I feel like I want to get up and walk around, you know, so the first key is that neutral witness mind. And the word meditation itself in Sanskrit is a word um, called dhyana. And dhyana translates to mean absorption. And, It's indicating that we are becoming, there's multiple meanings to that, but one of them is that we are absorbed in the present moment. We are aligned, we're merged with the present moment. And so when you can simply just be with, instead of adding the second layer of judgment, you know, maybe you're sitting down and you have any judgment, like, oh, I can't believe this is so hard, or this is, I'm so irritable. And then you start spinning around what's irritating you and you and now you're adding on to the situation instead of just stating the neutral facts. So first step, noting. Second step, non-judgmental awareness. Third step, you know, you're just you're is you're staying present. You're just staying aware to what is. That could be physical sensations, thoughts. So one of the definitions of mindfulness that I love is John kabat Zinn's. And it's four aspects. And it's the first is paying attention. The second is on purpose. So you're choosing to pay attention. You're not spontaneously just caught up in the moment, like, you know, watching a sunset or making art or making love. It's you're really choosing to pay attention on purpose. The third is to the present moment. So you're aware, you're staying curious with what's happening here and now. And the fourth is that non-judgmental awareness. So that neutral witness mind. So paying attention on purpose to the present moment with non-judgmental awareness. So those keys, if you can sit and practice that for three minutes, for five minutes, I think that's a great starting point. And it starts to loosen the shackles of all of our attachments. And then all the stories we start to spin around about it and interpretations and the way we wish things were different or someone else was different or acting differently. And instead we can just say, okay, this is what's happening right here, right now. I'm observing it. No, No judgment. I don't need it to change. And that that would be my
0: my key to beginner's meditation. God, that's really good. How do you think we can in, start to incorporate it into our daily routines? Because I think, I mean, I'll just say for me, you know, I, I was never a morning person ever, never. I mean, and again, you, I think you have to kind of come from a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. Like you can choose to be, to just say, I'm just not a morning person. It's just not who I am. Or you can go, you know what? I really would like to be a morning person. And so I'm going to start taking steps to get that way. For me, I used to be the person who woke up 30 minutes before I had to be somewhere, rushed, and then I was there. And after I had my daughter, I really realized, no, I need a little bit of time just for myself because I no longer have that. Um, and so I started waking up an hour before my daughter. Now, my daughter is almost seven, but I I get up at 4.30 and i have an hour and a half with myself before i'm with my husband or my kids or anything um and i mean he gets up at 5:30 so we have about 30 minutes the two of us before the kids wake up but still i have an hour and it's really lovely and but it's taken years really you know for me to kind of get to where i am now so how if if there's someone out there right now and they're thinking i can't i can't do that like i mean how would you suggest just starting to incorporate meditation into their daily routine. Mm.
1: Well, first of all, I want to commend you because I have been aiming. I mean, I've always been a morning person and I love getting up earlier than everyone. I just sort of always wake up at like 6 a.m. But it's funny because I am aiming for that 4.30 mark. So you're really inspiring me right now. (laughs) Thank
0: you. Um, I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. And – I think there is something that's so sacred. You know, there's a lot of research that's done on our morning routines. So to the degree, and I loved your emphasis on the growth mindset, to the degree that you can change that story, because again, that's a perfect example of what's the story in my head? You know, what's the story about, oh, I'm just not a morning person, so I'm just not gonna do that. Um, so when we change that and we we can start to incorporate. So I think of it. Anyone can find five minutes out of the day, five minutes. That's all you need. You know, if Barack Obama at the president of the United States can work out every single day for an hour. You know, you can find five minutes out of your day to sit down and be still and be quiet for um, a short period of time. I, again, I really love if it's really difficult and you feel lost, I would, I would highly recommend there are so many great apps. Um, I love Inside Timer. I'm also featured as a meditation teacher on the Muse, M-U-S-E, the Muse app. In fact, they have a great uh, contraption, like headpiece that you put on, and it really helps to actually work with biofeedback to get you to slow down the brainwave. So that's a fascinating science. That's a whole other conversation. But Muse also has a great app for guided meditations. There's so many. Calm, of course, is a great meditation app. So if you feel like you want a little support, listen to guided meditation, and then you don't have to be in charge of all of that. Um, But I do recommend at some point practicing sitting on your own and because it's just you and your mind.
0: Yeah, Um, definitely. But
1: again, three minutes, five minutes, start slowly, just like you are not going to jump into the gym and start lifting super heavy weights. You build up to it. Your mind is a muscle. Focus is a muscle and non-judgment is a muscle that we work. Patience is a muscle that we work and we build. So it's little by little. And then, I mean, a great uh, practice is add one minute every week. You know, can you sit with, can you sit for five days or can you sit for three days a week? Or maybe you can sit every morning. And then start with three minutes or start with five minutes. And then the next week, add one more minute to your practice. So that's a really good way to get up to maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Of course, 30 minutes is great. But I think it's, you know, it's much, much, much more important in any practice that there's consistency um, than how long you're doing it. It's better to meditate five minutes every single day than to meditate 30 minutes once every three weeks.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah.
1: Little by and little. I think-
0: I think too, it goes back to listening to like, what do you need today? Like putting yes. um, um, my, uh, so I wrote a book called Sleeping with a Stranger. And in it, I talk about, uh, I call her California Holistic Doctor, <laughs> but her, her name is Dr. Kesa. But she um, talks about putting your hand on your heart and saying, if I'm being my best self, what do I need? And um, I yesterday that. I was able to do, yesterday I did 15 minutes uh, meditating by myself with no you know, guidance or anything. But then today I did a five minute guided meditation and I don't think anyone was better or worse than the other. And I don't think I'm a failure today because it was shorter or because I, you know, needed assistance. I just thought that's what I needed today. Yeah. And so I love that. And that really does kind of help you to stop, um, the judgment game. And it also helps you to start, I don't know, treating yourself more kindly, um, But also in in the book, there's this part where I talk about I'd kind of gotten to like the worst version of myself. And I, I, I was mean. I was really, I wasn't, I'd kind of isolated from everyone I knew. And there's this moment where I look in the mirror and I was, and I said, you know, I don't think I've ever seen the best version of myself. And I'd like to meet her. And I think it really comes down to, How badly do you want something? Because if you want something, you do make time for it. You make it a priority.
1: Definitely.
0: I think it's just about asking that. Um, This has been so fun. This has been such a great conversation. Um, Okay, I'm going to end with my final question and ask everyone this question. It's always fun. If you had Oprah's money and had to spend a huge chunk of change on something totally selfish just for you, what would you buy?
1: Well, first of all, I love that question because I think everyone wants to be so altruistic, and, and I was already thinking like, okay, the charities and then this, and I got to give back. But yeah. it's so liberating to say like, yeah, you yeah. have to spend some of it you on yourself, it on you, exactly. Yeah. Um, I love that. Thank you. Such a great question. And by the way, it's so fun to just play in that realm and really imagine and get clear on what are your priorities? like what are your pleasures and priorities. So yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting cause I've thought about it recently and I mean, first of all, I would buy a bigger house because we have an adorable place, but it's a little small in Venice. Um, and I would definitely love to have a bigger home and have a home that has an awesome separate office podcast, YouTube studio for me. Um, So that's number one would be like just an epic home. But the other thing I think that would be a personal indulgence is I actually do love to cook. And when I'm inspired, I can be a really good cook, but I'm not, I also love my work and, and I working out and, you know, all these other things. So I find that I don't cook that much at home or for my, for my partner or my family. And I realized that I think one of the first uh, indulgences, I would have a private chef. And I would have, you know, like a super healthy, clean, gourmet private chef that we have like lunch and dinner every day, things in the refrigerator, all that's handled. That would relieve so much stress and anxiety in my life. And I would not feel the pressure that I should be doing more or something else. That would be amazing.
0: I, I love that. The reason why I asked this question is because I think it really shows what your true motivation is, like what you value. And I think that for you, that is, you value your time and you value your health. And so it yeah. fits right in alignment with everything you have yeah. talked about today. Yeah. So yeah, I love it. Um, this has been so great. Thank you so much for oh, just sharing all of your wisdom. I am going to now, you know, go and Dust off my old yoga mat and give it another go. <laughs> and just, I want to just learn more. So thank you so much. Tell everyone where we can find you. Yes. I was just thinking, I do have um, yoga classes that now,
1: because of the pandemic, I've been offering online every Wednesday night, oh, 5 awesome. p.m. Yeah, every Wednesday night, 5 p.m. Pacific. Um, I go live, and so you can get them. Uh, I can I can send you guys a link, or you can just go to my website. But it's um, my boyfriend is the student, and then I'm teaching, so it's really fun. We actually have a lot of fun doing it. So, and then they're recorded, and they're and they're in your online library, so you have them to keep rewatching and doing whenever. So there. Um, but my website is AshleyTurner.co, AshleyTurner.co, and then my yoga psychology program is yoga-psychology.co yoga-psychology.co yeah or just instagram facebook i'm wherever you are i'm there and dm me hit me up leave a comment definitely because i love to get to know everyone and put the face with the name and tell me that you heard me on the podcast i can't wait or sc- or, t- or you know take a screenshot and tag it on instagram and then we'll
0: repost it and share it I love that. That is perfect. Thank you so, so much.
1: Such a pleasure, Jessica. Such a pleasure. You're such a bright light doing so much great work in the world. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.
0: Ashley and I talked a lot about mindful breathing, but really that entire conversation felt like a breath of fresh air to me. I have so many amazing takeaways from our talk. Like I'm sure you heard me say, I'm now ready to go all in with yoga. But like Ashley said, it's better to do something for five minutes every day than 30 minutes one day a week. I want you to think about what you can do to take care of your mind, body, or spirit for just five minutes a day this week. I'd love to know what you choose. Send me a direct message on Instagram. I'm at Jessica Zimmerman underscore. And I'll see you back here next week on Zimmerman Podcast.